Hey everyone, just wanted to put this quick disclaimer in the front of this episode to let you know we were aware of Scott's audio crackling immediately when it started happening. We troubleshoot it throughout the first like 20-30 minutes, it comes and goes. It does eventually go away permanently. I think it's fixed by around the 30 minute mark and his audio is crystal clear for the rest of the episode. Just wanted to put that out there for everyone to be aware of before the episode starts. This was a fun one, hope you all enjoy and thanks for the support. Oh man, it was a blessing how hot it was this weekend for the band show in Kentucky here that I went to, but it's very out of character. I feel like it's not usually like 78 on October 22nd. Yeah, a couple of our commenters and followers have joked about we should start our own like aged out weather updates, but <laughs> we always talk about the weather. It's like the end all be all of small talk, get in the cab or the Uber. Hey, yeah, you know. You pop the beer at the beginning. It's like, what? You, you don't want it to be forced. You just kind of like, well, what's on your mind? Well, the weather. So whatever. It uh, feels great, and I'm sure it feels great where our guest is, which is awesome because it probably always feels great there. Yeah, I'm sure. Obviously, everybody can tell from the title, but I'll let you do your spiel real quick, and then we'll jump right into it. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this one. So welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me, as always, is Evan Morrill. And make, before we get into this and introducing our guest, make sure you head over to social media, Facebook, Instagram, follow us so you never miss an update on any of the content we put out. You know, if you're listening on podcast services, go to YouTube. We have all kinds of stuff over there. Um, and then vice versa. If you're on YouTube, if you want to prefer to listen in your car, all that stuff, we're on all the major podcast services, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, and if you want to support us financially at all, head to patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast. We have as a one dollar tier pretty much and if you can't support us financially we still appreciate and love all of you the viewership is all we all we need you know so all right evan take it away yeah Do the thing. um so funny story about hooking up with uh scott johnson as everyone can tell from the name in the description is he had commented on a youtube video we did uh i think we we're talking about judging or something like that or maybe as one with rudy or jeff brooks but i 100 percent thought it was a troll youtube account Mm -hmm. uh, saying like, hey, I'd love to talk to you guys. And I, I remember I responded like, ah, ha, ha, we'd love to talk to the real Scott Johnson as well. Duh. And then uh, I think I said something like, tell him to send us a message on Instagram. And then yeah, lo and did. behold, uh, Scott did send me a message uh, on Instagram. <laughs> so I was like, oh, crap, sweet. Uh, and then one thing led to another, and he graciously accepted our invitation to come on and uh, chat with us. So, Scott, without further ado, thanks for joining us. Welcome. We'd love to have you, man. We appreciate it. So, there we go. Cheers, there boys. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here, finally. I love checking you guys out and following the, the path <laughs> of, of all your podcasts. So, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, especially nowadays where before this past season, not having anything. So, all these things have been created because of that. So, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Good job, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate no, thank it. You. We, uh, Appreciate that. We love to just kind of be genuine about our our opinions of the the activity but always in an uplifting way that just continues to move it forward uh because obviously it gave so much to us and we loved it so much so we just want to try to inspire and appreciate the uh the current generation so and i'm sure you've gone you've had many people in many generations obviously you're a legend and an icon in the activity um i guess before we jump into some of this current stuff just give us a little bit, brief synopsis, how you got into DCI, how you got into drums in general. It's brief. Um, I had a, I, I have two older sisters who twirled baton growing up. And so 
pageantry parades and shows every weekend when I was growing up as a, you know, a kid, basically. And uh, I started taking drum lessons at four years old because all the guys were hitting drums and all the girls were twirling batons, so it was going to be one or the other. So I started hitting stuff, and so mom and dad hooked me up with drum lessons. So I took private lessons at the age of four. That's right. Four? But yeah. I was That's young. Then. Okay, just so you guys know, my first lesson was mama, dad, dad, mama, dad, dad. <laughs> so I was four, but age four. I just want to get it out there. <laughs> you hear that, everybody? Everyone starts yeah. at the same place. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that that was formed into a drum and bell corps before bugles were even added in this, like the 60s and early 70s. And then in the early 70s, we added bugles, became a drum and bugle corps called the Royal Airs. And the, the funny story is I grew up in this, our, our group was called the Royal Family. And it had the Rhythm Mets Batons, the Red Knight Drum and Bell Corps, the Royal Air Drum and Bugle Corps. And it was all the Royal whatever, right? And our biggest competitor, Blue Devils, who had dreads, the Blue Devil Drum and Bell Corps, the Blue Devil. So I, ra- I was raised to hate the Blue Devils, which is really ironic because <laughs> um, that became my home, obviously. <laughs> but I was literally raised to beat the crap out of those guys every time we went up against them so that was pretty interesting um basically i was in that drum corps it ended up folding in 1974 after the 74 season and then um i was either gonna go to santa clara or go to blue devils because i was also taking lessons from a jim alcoffin who was santa clara vanguard at the time and did, wrote, wrote my first solo for me when i was 12 and so i had a little in with them but bob um Wanted me to go to Santa Clara. So I went to a couple rehearsals in 75. I was going to be in the 75 Santa Clara snare line. And my stay home this summer. I think we need to build an addition onto the house and I need your help. <laughs> so I didn't do drum corps that year. Um, hung out with mom and dad and the family and a lot of my friends. And then 76 came around and all my friends who were in the small drum corps with me, everybody went to the Blue Devils. Peer pressure, they go, you got to come to the Blue Devils. Come on, don't go where it's already perfect because Santa Clara was really good back then you know so I um, made the switch and I went to Blue Devils in 76 so I've been there kind of sort of on and off um, I was uh, in the snare line for four years 76 77 78 79 and in uh, 78 our snare tech quit right before tour so in a panic stage director Jerry Seawright hired me to be a snare tech from inside the snare line he actually hired two of us who were been around a few years and but we actually I, I got a paycheck to march in the blue devils my last two years i got a check of a hundred, of 100 sure bucks i bet not many people can make that statement for any drum corps to be a member no, but one guy that can because he was with me but uh yeah i got a hundred bucks a month from my last two years marching and uh back then and that was rent i was it was jamming because i got to pay rent from just doing what i love to do and that turned into just a full-time teaching job as soon as i aged out in 79 i kept teaching blue devils I uh, went through all those years with uh, Tom Float through the 80s, and I um, wanted to get out of drum corps. I had a really bad taste after the 88 season with the judging system wasn't whatever. So I um, didn't want to teach anymore and then realized I want to come back to teaching after I took a year off in 89. And 90, went to the Blue Devil office and said, hey, I'm ready to come back. And they go, well, we can't pay you anything because we got this person and this person and this person. And I went, okay, that's kind of weird. So let me... Um, see what else is out there. So I called my good friend, Glenn Crosby, who was like a brother to me. He lived at my house for a few years when he marched the Blue Devils. And I told him the story. I can't believe they don't want to hire me, you know? And he goes, what? And he hangs up on me. And this is back before cell phones. So he hangs up on me. So about 10 minutes later, the phone rings and it's Ralph Hardeman. 
and I hear, yo, you're hired. I go, hired? I can't teach the red team. Come on, we were, we're, you know, we're the blue team. We can't teach the red team. And Ralph talked me into teaching them, so I taught Santa Clara 90 with them as a consultant originally, but that turned into a full-time teaching thing. And then Ralph left at the end of 90 season, so I took over 91 as the caption head. That was my first caption head gig was 91. Two ninety three and then ninety four. It was time to go back to Blue Devils, so went back to Blue Devils in ninety four as a caption head, and still surviving. Not a bad there's, there's first a caption story. head gig. Not a not a bad organization to start out your no, your caption it's a pretty head pretty solid start. But I'm gonna and pause us for a second. Just from the, go the ahead, talent Eddie. that was there, it's probably still arguably one of the best quad lines in existence. That ninety two SCV quad line. Great. Yep. yep. All right. I'm gonna pause us for a second. So. There's a potential chance you watching this are going to see a fade in and out real quick here. You've probably heard the crackling and stuff with Scott's mic. So, obviously, join back up with the Blue Devils, and I don't want to say the rest is history because it's still being made. Um, but obviously, you've been a part of some prolific shows, ensembles, uh, percussion sections, just the whole nine yards what are some years and kind of put you on the spot not that you would say the best but just that stand out it's like oh man that was a fun summer or this summer was like just a wild ride with these dudes or, or what my uh when people ask me favorite line or something like that i always say you know well 2023 that's going to be my favorite line you know hopefully that's going to be the case <laughs> good answer <laughs> but um you know, um, there's way, I mean, you know, longevity is a crazy thing. I've been obviously doing this for decades. It's been five decades I've been teaching at that level with the group. So it's pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my, one of my favorite shows, um, believe it or not, was, um, when I did our, did the sound of silence with the deaf girl. And that was just really an emotional show that we put together and it was all legit. I mean, she was, we got her from the school for the deaf and that was just really spectacular. And it was funny because the judges loved the concept so much. That's all they would talk about. Meanwhile, the drum line was playing their ass off. <laughs> I had a lot of blue double guys were in that line that were just, I mean, it was stupid clean. For us non-drum core historians, what year was that? Um, you know, 01, 02, somewhere okay. around there. Gotcha. And I remember talking to the judges saying, have you checked out the drumming? Is anybody actually listening to what they're playing? Because <laughs> everybody just loved the concept so much. I'm going, man, we're getting shafted because they're not even listening to what the hell these guys are playing. So it was a, it was a year. Um, 09 was a great year for Blue Devils just because we're undefeated um, as a drum corps and we were undefeated as a percussion section, which, you know, hasn't happened in a long time before that. So it's it. Yeah. So those are two of my favorites, I guess, that I had to say. So I'd give that up. I definitely uh, have a love-hate relationship with 09 since I was at Crown in 09. Uh, but that's all right. <laughs> and we were what what place did you guys take? What place second, were you guys at? Uh, second percussion, second overall. So I remember uh, I remember, I remember. we saw the recap. We were like, oh, we got a 19-7. They were like, BD got a 19-9. And I were like, oh, all right. <laughs> Chasing perfection. Uh. Blue Devils, man, they just yeah. they just win rings. They just beat everybody all the time. I feel like a lot of people have stories like that. Yeah, Dean was there, and I know Dean. He marched 2009, 2010, so we'd always text back and forth, just like I don't know, talking crap to each other. It was fun. So we um, <laughs> do. That's good. Healthy competition. But obviously, the Blue Devils as an organization have gone through 
just so much historic success, but also I would just say change with the times. Uh, and you guys have a unique relationship there as well, where the staff that's there, at least the core staff, has been there for so long. There's so much continuity that definitely is not in place everywhere. Um, I guess, could you speak on that a little bit? Just how you guys are able to operate year in and year out and just keep the same people on the team. I'm sure winning helps, but obviously you have to like each other too, or else you'd only put up with so much. (laughs) A big part of it. I mean, everybody gets along great. There's no, we don't even talk about captions. It's not about captions. It's never been about captions. It's always about, you know, what can the success of the organization, how do we make the performers perform? Um, And we're all on the same page with that, you know, and if all that other stuff happens, whatever bonus, I guess, but that's not what we do. (laughs) We try to do. Um, And, you know, and because of the success, obviously, and because of the the staff that hasn't changed that much, a lot of drum corps are still doing nowadays. um, We get, amazing members. I put it on the members every year. It's like the reason the Blue Devils are successful is because of what you guys are doing. You guys and gals are doing. I mean, it's, we get amazing talent every year and we just got to steer it in the right direction. And I know, uh, we talked with a little bit about Rudy this year coming off of COVID and obviously having the, the kind of off season and the off summer. I think it was obviously a unique experience or challenge for the Blue Devils organization this summer that maybe they have had before, but not for a while, where it did feel maybe it was like a restart. Did it feel like that for you guys as far as like a recruiting standpoint? Like, hey, like a lot of our dudes that we've had for years, just like they're too old now. So we got we to gotta go out and find some new talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know you guys covered that with Rudy, but yeah, it was an all-rookie drum line. I say all-rookie. Um, there was some that never marched drum corps. You know, um, we did have some from other drum corps, of course, a lot from our B core, you know, the open class core, but it was about as green as you can get <laughs> for, for Blue Devils. You know, I want to say that, was, you know, and to be honest, that's kind of why I made some hirings of the Brandon Olanders, the Grayson Users, the Elijah Jones, guys who aged out in 19 or would have aged out in 20, because literally they had to teach this line how to unload the truck, how to load the this is how we eat. This is how we sleep. This is how we rehearse. I mean, because there was nobody leading anybody, you know. So I got some of those recent age outs to help us out just in as far as just the concept of what we do. So um, and plus they're great teachers. So that helped out a lot, too. It was it was definitely a little restart for us. You know, the COVID thing was crazy. We never had obviously no one's like that where, mm-hmm. you know, you're worried about that more than you're worried about anything else. You know, you're worried about COVID more than you're worried about injuries. And that's never been the case in our activity. So yeah, that was interesting dealing with all that. Yeah. I mean, Rudy talked about that a little bit in terms of typically you like, you all prefer to hire more experienced educators, you know, people that have been aged out for a little bit, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I, I remember 2012, um, I aged out at the blue coats and Roger was there. Roger Carter was there at that point had had started teaching there and in 13 we were all age outs in 12 in the snare line especially and i think there was supposed to be one vet and then joe got hurt and couldn't march there were zero vets in the snare line so i was around doing some sous vide stuff for a couple days for fun with a buddy of mine after i'd aged out and they just like asked me to stay for two weeks and do some visual stuff and that was something roger said he was like i almost just want somebody from last summer here even if you're not like teaching them how to play 
help them. I don't know how effective I was at that because it was a whole interesting experience in and of itself. But <laughs> he he said the same sentiment to me of like we need to instill like that blue coats mindset that we started or carried on last season, and there's just nobody here from the last summer in the snare line. So I, I totally get that, and I, I think it's smart to be able to adapt and switch your what what typically is your approach to things and who you hire and stuff. I'm like, okay, it's a weird year. We have to adapt, kind of bob and weave a little bit and make this work. And I think it makes perfect sense. And obviously, and it was it, it felt like the Blue Devils to us watching. I mean, watching you all play from day one of tour, it, it felt like the BD we know. So, Glad it did because, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a rough start. <laughs> Definitely a rough start for us, but uh, but they came. Uh, obviously, they came a long ways. No, they. I t- we told Rudy this too, and I don't want to keep referring back to that the whole podcast. But most improved drum line of the summer, honestly, from day one of tour to the finals, unbelievable. Like the strides that were made by that group of kids. Yeah, I felt like uh, people were kind of critical of us being critical of them early on. Yeah, but I mean, me too. We knew. Uh, <laughs> we knew like what the stand everybody knows what the standard is uh Mm -hmm. so we would never watch any i feel like i would never watch anything with like just fog over my eyes or my ears and be dishonest about it which i think is one of the things people appreciate just about what we do it's not not everybody appreciates what we do but a lot of the people that do and come back is that it's like well i mean this isn't great right now but you know there's a long summer there's 80 days so it is what it is for now. Motivate themselves to get better. That's whatever. They'll, they'll figure it out. Something I want to talk to you two about, because I know you guys put so much emphasis on the lot, the warm-up <laughs> for a show in the lot. And uh, All right, I'm going to pause this again. I'll, I don't mean to cut you I'll off get... for a second. Can you unplug? And... All right. All right, hit me with it. All right. So, here's old. No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You want to talk about the lot now? Is that yeah. what we're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll Let's pick go. back up right there and keep going. <laughs> Got too excited talking about the lot. <laughs> oh, and I said it in one of your later podcasts. And I think what you do is you go in the lot, you check out everybody, you know, and you whatever you want to call it, judging them in the lot. <laughs> I remember. Well, I I'll, I'll say this, and this is just me. It's nobody else. But, I mean, the lot is the preparation for the show. That's it. It's not a performance the way we do it. It's not a performance that has nothing to do with that. (laughs) And, I mean, we still play really basic exercises, you know. And a few years ago, pre-COVID, I was asking the guys in the line, I go, so you guys want to do like a little show in the lot? You want to play some some stuff would draw more people in the lot, you know? And they said, no, 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 this works. We want to just keep doing this. And I go, all right, cool. So we've never changed that, obviously to one of my peers and i won't mention the drum corps they taught but they did a, if you want to call them little tunes or it wasn't exercises it was just stuffed you know and they would get a big crowd or a bigger crowd whatever and i asked him guys do that and he, he looks at me and he goes we do that went, whoa that's did you genius. say recruiting recruiting okay yeah and i'm going oh my god that's I never thought of that. That's genius. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly never, never thought that would be a recruiting thing being the old school guy that I am, but obviously it works for a lot of different groups, but the lot is a preparation for the show. And to be honest with the blue double drum line, for example, the only time stand still and play through our music 
twice is at a show in the lot. We never do that at a rehearsal. We don't have time to do that at a rehearsal. We're on the field, mm-hmm. you know, seven with the rest of the ensemble. We don't have percussion time on the field by ourselves anymore. That that left years ago because the ensemble is integral part with props and everything else. You have to have everybody there for a visual rehearsal, for a music rehearsal, whatever. So we're on the field. You know, we do a quick 20-minute warm-up, get out on the field. And whatever it is, it is. So they never stand still other than the lot. <laughs> when, right. you know, other than when we first learned music, of course. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's, it's just interesting that people put so much emphasis on the lot. Because it kind of cracks me in a funny so, way. So in our defense a little bit, I will say, and I bet, Evan, you're about to say say, say the same thing or some, something similar, that we do put like qualifiers to a lot of what we say sometimes. We're like, look, we're evaluating how clean they are and stuff. But obviously, on the move is a different story. So, you know, when we go Giving. over scores and stuff, we'll say, this group beat this group. And I know we said the group they beat was better from the reaction videos we made and stuff. But... Like you said, some groups rehearse more on the move. And I would say there's, I've seen groups that by the end of summer, you do it on the move so much. And it sounds like this is kind of the approach that you all take, that they are better moving and playing than they are standing still because you just yeah. practice it more. And so, yeah, yeah by far. group by A far. could be cleaner standing still in the lot than B, but B cleans their clock on the field. And it's like, well, so we do I, put that qualifier a lot. I we think- fully understand Go, go ahead, Evan. I think it was after the Atlanta Regional or something. I was like, look, I fully realize that I'm giving lots of superlatives here uh, <laughs> for, like, one of the best drum lines I've heard in a warm-up or something like that to groups. Um, <laughs> but I also do have a bone to pick with the lot, too, which is in regards to lot drill. I think it's stupid. I I just don't <laughs> agree with it. I don't I don't know. I, it's it's so annoying to watch. Uh, if lot drill was so important, then why don't the horn line do it? Like... They're in some way do. more environmental. No, no, no. Some do. But they're in way more environmentally challenging like sets and changing the listening environment than the battery ever is. I mean, usually if you're in a drum line, you're in a line or in a cube or you're like split. I mean, those are probably the most common integrated things. sometimes. But I get doing <laughs> the body. I mean, I agree mostly, Evan. Like I get doing the body in the lot. That makes sense, you know. But you don't yeah. think the listening situation changes in all those different forms? Oh, it does. I do, but again, you're what they usually listen to on the field. So, Evan, what you're saying is you want the lot to be about you and yes. not about the guys. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. I got you. I'm yeah, sorry. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, if they're not doing the drill, they're not doing the drill. I mean, but uh, I get setting up some certain shapes, but, man, they get some groups have gotten crazy. They're, like, doing, like, they need, like, a 30-yard by 30-yard space for their warm-up. I'm like, oh, man, I can't. The same thing. Oh. If your guy is talking about recruiting, it's like, if you want me to watch the lot as a recruit, better let me get in there. <laughs> oh man but no i mean think about it and um for a normal rehearsal day okay not even a show day a rehearsal day you'll do a visual block you'll get stretched out you do a lot of whatever you get your body in shape for the rehearsal you get warmed up from your musical chops and then you go out and you do the stuff well we don't have any visual warm-ups at shows so that becomes our visual warm-up as far as doing some of the little drill things we do and getting them to move instead of just stand still and play. Because gotcha. trust me, I, mean, I grew up standing still and play. We, even on the field, we didn't march. I was on the 50-yard line. If I had a good show, man, my shoes were white from the chalk on the field. That's when I know I had a great school <laughs> show because I went up and down the 50. You know, that's how you know you, you nailed my dot. <laughs> but it's, it's a visual warm-up as well as an audio warm-up nowadays. Times change. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the lot is super mentally preparing, like putting yourself in the right. And honestly, for me, lots were way more stressful than the shows. Having people like right in front of you, your yeah, peers, close. You bet. like you people bet. right in there. It was way more stressful than like just being on the field. Like once I got on the field, it was like, all right, this is muscle memory kicking in. Like I just, it's, it's fine. Also said it, the whole judging, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I did this quote before you guys did where it's maybe when you're judged now in DCI percussion, 20% battery, maybe 80% front ensemble. This is right. a perfect segue. I mean, it's that's what it is now, and that's yep. what it. And for this new system that showed up in 2019, that nobody liked. Well, I shouldn't say that the visual guys love it. Uh, Do they? Because now they're forced to put the battery in situations that they maybe wouldn't have before. Because you got to get read them. It's like, hey, we need to read the battery a little bit. So let's move the winds out of the way and set up an indoor drumline show real quick behind the front. And have a little indoor drumline moment, basically. I, I don't know. I'm not... Push, push this new system through? What? I... Who was it? Who was it? Uh, I guess I could say, because it's, it's, it is public knowledge. You can go and see. It was Michael Gaines with Santa Clara Vanguard. Mm. Off the field. Off the... I... And, yeah, I was, and, I, and I was at the Congress, the rules, and I was fighting until I was blue in the face, you know, because it's, it's been talked about for literally 30 years, 15, 20, 30 years. It's been talked about the judges getting in the way of the visual design and he's, and he's causing injuries. That's been talked about since I've been around. All right. But it's also what we all loved about the activity, which separates the percussion activity in DCI to any college marching band, marching bands, uh, WGI indoor percussion. That's what separated us from everybody else is that judge in front of you. Right. With you, which I loved, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to lose that. And I was in the room when the directors made the final vote, and we were, I was, I was amazed at how many people voted for that rule, and only I think three groups didn't: the Blue Devils, and I think it was like Pacific Crest or somebody like that. And I was so bummed out. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I mean, again, not to come back on it's about me, and this is what I want. But just <laughs> all good. we're all a little a, selfish at the end of the day. As a fan, as an and as a performer, even like getting those tapes back with that just like very intimate relationship that you had with the judge, and like they were just right there. Like I have tapes from when I'm arched where it's like I know the judge is literally standing in front of my drum right now. Like what you're hearing, like is me. Yep. And there was something so unique about that and just very personal. Um, and. I don't know. I, I always come back to a, a quote that I heard that maybe it was from Mark Thurston or something when people propose WGI rule changes. It's like, well, do we want to credit the members or do we want to credit the designers? And while the design is almost woven into every caption through like content or repertoire or this or that, I think that you still want to credit the members and what they do, like the execution. And when you're handcuffed to eight feet by the by the yard line or sideline you're gonna talk about design a lot more because that's what you read me going on that i was one of the again at wgi uh they took points away from my sheet i do the music sheet downstairs used to call hands used to call you know how well you play what you play right that was the sheet that i wanted to do i wanted to be up down in the low seats and i wanted to be i wanted to hear everything and they took 10 points away from my sheet 
to add to the second dual judge. Freaked. I go, you're taking points from the performers playing their music and you're giving more points to the designers. And they go, yep, that's what the instructors wanted. Yikes. I called Sean Vega, who was still teaching RCC at the time, going, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what are you guys doing? You know, I was so pissed off. So pissed off. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's got to be about the players, right? That's what we March, that's what we thought, right? Come yeah. On, this out. Stand right in front of me. Check this out. I you mean, know, now the kids don't come to the lot to watch, like, whatever designer Tom Rarick or Scott Johnson or Tom Monks or whoever. I mean, they know those people and they respect and they appreciate them, but they like, they come to see the beats. Like this is what, this is what brought me here. Like this just visceral emotional connection. So yeah, I, we, we ran on the judge thing and we've had some DCI judges on here and I totally get the, their employer, they're employed by their employer and they're part of the game. And like, they're not going to, go against the system that pays them and allows them to also get to do this awesome job they have. But I still just in my mind, I, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I'm going to plant my flag pretty deep. Very deep flags as well. And um, I still got to go with the system, right? We got to, st you got to still stay relevant stay Right. And judging and teaching and performing and all that fun stuff. So yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, um, I did a, a judging gig with Jeff Ostamore after DCI was over um, in Texas. And good good friend. We've done a lot of stuff together. And um, just talking about the season, and he actually, I mean, every judge that I've talked to hates the system. Hates it. They, don't, they, they want to get out there. You know, talk to hates the system. They want the judges to get out there. You know, but why aren't they out there? <laughs> That's my big question all the time. But talking with Jeff, what was real interesting is he did the same thing that we do. He goes, you know, after over, I got on YouTube and I watched everybody in the lot. Oh my God. I had no idea these guys were playing all that stuff. And I go, exactly. You've never seen it. You can't yeah. hear it. And then, it's, it, then it's you the run system. into, then uh, you run into how much of the show do the batteries actually have to be perfect on that you to be the, the best overall percussion section. I mean, Okay, we're up in the front, and like so, I don't know if you listened to this part of one of our previous podcasts, but we did a time like breakdown of I watched. I think it was Allentown this past summer, and so I think Lightsky was on the field. Was that what or whatever whoever it was? I picked him out before the first group started. When I turned it on, I watched like the top eight of the last eight groups, and I timed essentially with a stopwatch on my phone. I think Austin how was on the show there. Uh, yeah, either way, whoever the judge was, I basically recorded based on where I could see the battery was and where the judge was positioned and what was between them, how much time in the entire show the judge, I felt the judge could probably effectively evaluate the intricacies and the balance and blend and the difficulty and the clarity of the battery was playing. I mean, you're talking like two minutes and change for most groups. Right. Now, you could do yeah. a plus or minus 30 seconds for my own personal judgment just to like, count for error. But that's still three minutes, best case scenario. Like, I don't even care. Of a 12-minute show. 11, yeah, 11 to 12-minute show. Yeah. yeah. If the snares are standing 20 feet off the yard, off the sideline, but they're in between, like, the trumpets of any DCI, you ain't hearing that shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're just not going to hear it. They're, they're too good. They're too loud. It's it's not going to get heard. No. Um, deck, deck, a, few, a decade or so ago, uh, Joe Allison did the same kind of a study on – the drum judge who was on the field yes. and how 
actually judge as opposed to run and get out of the way and be afraid and all that stuff. And it was like thirties <laughs> and he had his he had his students do it from his college, right? And they would literally listen to tapes and talk about the comments and have you know, as as the show went on with I don't know, ten groups or whatever. And they came to us like maybe thirty five percent of the time they were able to judge and not worry about getting hit. And I remember going, Hell yeah, I'll take thirty five percent. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to find that study. Uh, he taught at Eastern Kentucky University here in Richmond, where I live. Um, and I know people that were involved in that. They're up there like stopwatches and this and that. Uh, they were doing the study. Uh, so I, I've tried to find it before, but I don't know how to search for it. But, um, oh, well, it is what it is. And I think that that segues well to, like, the game is the game. you got to play the game. And the Blue Devils organization and you guys specifically. What do you, what do you, what do you call the game? The game, the system, like the system yeah, is the system and you have to work with what you, what you have. Like, like you the know, rules the, judges... that are, the rules that are established, the judging system, we have to try to figure out from a competitive standpoint, how do we get read the best way possible in the world we live in now? That has rules. Certain pieces can only move in certain directions. You have to utilize them to the best of your ability. Yeah. Um, so, things that i've heard from not only adjudicators but just people who are in the ensemble talk about how open and receptive the staff is to making changes that satisfy the judges which is i mean insanely smart and makes sense if you want to do well it's a competitive activity like why not appease the people that are writing the numbers down um is that something that you've always felt that you've had in you or something in recent years, you mean like, you know what, why would I fight it? If they don't like it, I'll change it, whatever. Well, I guess it depends on the judge, <laughs> if you respect that judge or not. Because <laughs> there's a lot of times people have said stuff and it's like, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing uh, that. And there's stuff, even this past year where um, it was Brooks, he made a couple of suggestions and I thought about yeah. him going, he's right. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> you know, so we did. That was, but I, it, Go ahead. Sorry. Enhance the show. Um, and do it to influence his numbers, to be honest, I was doing it to make the show better to be, you know, that's what we do. We try to make the show entertaining and better. For everybody. That's kind of the goal. And I know we don't really think about the numbers and the judges that much. Too, I guess, you know, you have to, cause it's, it's a competitive thing. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It's a competitive sport that we do. Right. So you, you gotta, as you call it, play the game, but at the same time, we're just trying to, get the performers to play the best they possibly can and have a good time doing it. And yeah. if the numbers work, numbers work out. That's the way to look at it. I think that's, that makes sense. But all right, pause real quick, Evan. I know how okay. to fix your crackling, Scott. All right. So through the years, obviously the way that designers work and coordinate together has changed just because technology has changed. Now you have like Pyware and you have like these Google shared files and you have virtual drumline and Sibelius and finale. That's just like, People can work very, very remotely. Um, and you and Dave Glide obviously have a really unique relationship in the way that you guys orchestrate the shows, where he writes some of the stuff, you write some of the stuff, and then from my understanding, too, like some of that is turned over to just, all right, here's the idea for the bass thing, you guys take it and run, or here's the idea for the idea for the quad thing, you guys take it and run. How does that dynamic kind of work, and how has it been so cohesive through the years um 
I taught Dave. He was in the Snare Line of Blue Devils in 1984. So um, we have that relationship, and we've always had that relationship. You know, he was a great snare drummer. And now he's in charge of the Blue Devil musical book. How cool is that to have a snare drummer in charge of what the brass play? It's got to be convenient. And when, the drum, and when the drums should play and when they shouldn't play and all that stuff. So Dave puts together, he puts together the whole map, right? He puts together our musical package. And I'm talking about pretty much everything. Um, he leaves a lot of holes for me. And like you were saying, we, we, we get a lot of this stuff, not so much last year because of the lack of vets, you know? But there's many years where I'll go up to the guys in the line and I'll say, so... um. What do you got? <laughs> about 190 beats a minute, you know. I need a I need a quad lick that's going to be about you know, 10 seconds. What do you, what do you, what's what's cool? What have you guys seen lately? You know, and then the guys start just throwing stuff out, you know. And we've actually had some of the guys just write it out. Yeah, write that out for us, you know. And so they'll write it out, and we'll, we we might tweak it a little bit, but it's it comes from the guys in the line a lot of it. Uh, we didn't do that much last year just because of the situation. Um, not knowing them, to be honest, you know, as much as we did. We had some of the guys that had some good ideas throughout the season that we had put in the show. And we definitely put in the show that go, you know, it might be better if we do this. And I go, do it. Absolutely. It's in because they're the ones playing it. So, right. you know, Glide and myself, um, I took over. He was the caption head in 92 and 93 for Blue Devils when I was at Santa Clara. And then when I came back in 94, I became the caption head and arranger at the time. And it was like, you know, Dave's really friggin' talented. So we don't want to lose that part of what he was starting to create with Blue Devils. So we got together and I used to, he lived in Fresno. I lived in Northern California. It's like a three hour drive, right? Or I used to get an Amtrak, a three hour train ride. And I would literally take the train to Dave's house in Fresno, hang out all day. And we'd sit down and write together. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? You know, I've never seen this before. How about this? Yeah, this is kind of cool. And we would literally just put put beats down on paper together. And then I would take it and on the three hour train ride back on my first laptop back in the day, I would sit there and, <laughs> you know, and try to try to formulate it and put it in a package that looks good that we could actually hand out to the members. And so that that's how the whole thing started. And when Dave started the ring, he started arranging the brass parts in 03. So before that, oh, it was wow. just percussion. Yeah. So when 03 kicked in, that's when okay, Dave, you're the musical director. You're now writing the brass music as well. Because he always wanted to, and we always knew he could. You know, so he kind of took that over in 03. And um, Phenomenal, ever since cool he's, show. Abs, yeah, and ever since, ever since he started doing that, it got to be a little bit more involved as far as the whole package, of course. And so it got to the point where, okay, anytime the brass is playing, you should write what you think the drum should be playing, whether it's write out the parts or write out the ideas, and we'll take it from there or whatever. You know, because one brain we always thought was a better, and his brain is way out there, so it's really cool. <laughs> so, so we we let him just go off on all that stuff since '03, pretty much. Um, I get my licks in there, I get little, my little drum featurettes in there, and you know, we'll do a lot of different things. Um, matter of fact, we're doing a little plug. We're doing a um, a clinic at Pasic this year oh, on okay. Thursday at a, Thursday morning, eleven o'clock, I think it is. But it's me, Dave Glide, and Brian Dinkle. Brian Dinkle writes our front ensemble for Blue Devils. And it's basically under the hood of the Blue Devil percussion section. And it's how we create the show and how we write the show, because everybody's always asking, how, how do you guys do this? And it's not just a one guy, you know? It's not one guy writing it. It's definitely a collaboration of a bunch of us. So we're picking one, one part of the show that we did last year that we were all totally involved in and how the idea started and where, where it ended up to where it actually started as far as how it turned out at finals. So it'll be pretty cool, just the whole concept of how we do things. Well, let's just see if we can get Dave and Brian on. We'll just do it right now. I'm just yeah. Um, yeah, text them. I'll call them. 
that's awesome though and what an incredible selflessness from all parts involved too uh where you just kind of like leave your ego at the door because i'm sure many people could like assume or wonder like well why didn't scott just write the whole thing or why doesn't dave just write the whole thing it's like obviously the blue devil's mentality and pretty much everybody i've ever talked to that's marched there is like well it's just the show first yep it's first it's the show first and we'll get this right and then we'll we'll figure the rest out um and so why why we're on that i gotta say something okay i think this is this is pretty important this is i'm a statistic freak okay i mean i keep stats i'm now a you're speaking guy. my language I love sports, you know, and I, I love stats. So I have stats of every drum judge that ever judged us and what the numbers they gave us and who was first, second, third, fourth, and their comments and, you know, the time of the That's year. Awesome. I mean, I, I, I do all that stuff. Way, way, way too much, but it keeps me busy on the bus, right? I'm man after ride. my heart. So one of my totally outside-the-box stats that I absolutely love with my career as caption head with the Blue Devils since 94 um, I've always said it's not about the captions. You know, it's always about the ring. It's always about the success of the organization, not about these little drum things, which are only half the points now that they used to be anyways, right? So you go for the big points if you want to say you're playing the game. The numbers are upstairs. They're not down on the field, which we always look at first as far as entertainment value upstairs. But with that in mind, um, every time we've won percussion with the Blue Devils since 94, and that's a, a lot of them, um, we won the show. We won the ring. We never won percussion without winning the ring. Wait, which so is a really let, bizarre. Let me get that straight. There's not it's been a bizarre let me, stat. But let me get that Go straight ahead. to make sure I understood what you just said. There's never been yep. a season where you won a drum trophy and didn't win a ring. Since, since 94. 94. Since 94. Since I became captain. Head. Correct. I mean, Every time we won a drum trophy, we won the ring. It's and, I mean, like... it, and you go back to the 80s with, you know, me and Tom Float. I mean, we won four years in a row, and we, I think we won one title that year. We won one ring that year, or that, that, that time frame, you know? So back then, it was about the captions because the captions were worth more points back then, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, if a, if a drum judge gave you 10 points back then, 10 points went towards that total score. See, what now that a tells drum me... judge gives you 10 points, 5 points goes towards that total score. See, so from, a... from an analytics standpoint, what that tells me is the way you evaluate that as a designer and a design staff is if... like. You have to, like, a good percussion section leads to a good drum corps. Like, they're your sense of tempo. They're your, they're the backbone of everything happening on the field, whether it's the front, the drum set player, the battery, the bass line, whatever aspect it is, the horn line and the guard are getting tempo from the battery a lot of the time. Like, yes, the drum majors there are communicating it to everybody on the field, but it's the, it's the percussion. If we're all being honest, like, it's it's not the drum major. <laughs> yeah, we all we all know how that works. Uh, but the drum major watches watches the drum line, right? Right. It is. I I almost want to go back now and look at ninety four, ninety six, ninety seven. I know Renix won uh, drums a lot in the past handful of years, where the core hasn't won. Two thousand nine, and then two thousand fifteen. Are those the years the that? Those are the drum trophies. There's more you championships in there. You forgot twelve. Or twelve yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, two thousand twelve. Yeah, you all beat so, us in twelve. Sorry. Um, so those are the drum trophies. Um, but I want to know how many years everybody's got to eat. Brass, I want to know how many years guard. a core one that the drum line didn't. Would it be all the years BD didn't? Well, no. I want to go no. look at that now. How many years? I, to figure that. I bet that would. 
That would be an interesting, uh, in- interesting addition to your Instagram. The Scott Johnson data analytics of uh, drum yeah. core and all the spreadsheets and stuff oh, yeah. you have. <laughs> I can tell you, 19, 2019, 2022, we didn't win drums, but we won the ring. So there's two years right there. Right. I and and that was Rennick, right? Well, no, 19. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Rennick seems to win drums a lot and not win the ring with the core. Recently, yeah. Recently, recently yeah. in recent history. Uh, Fair. And there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of brass programs. There's a lot of brass programs that win a lot but never win the ring. Carolina you Crown. Know? Crown. Yeah. 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 Same with color guards. Interesting. Yep. Of course, there's a lot of BD color guard uh, Zingali trophies too. Back in the day, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Oh man. Um, see but you know, it's it's it's, it's about the product. It's about the final product, and that's the way we've looked at it. I mean, a, a funny story when we were learning the show this past season, 2022. We got most of it on the field, and I'm sitting there going, "God, our staging sucks. What the hell?" <laughs> but for the battery, you know. I'm going, well, we're not going to get any drum points this year, you know, and. So I'm writing down a little list of things that we might be able to improve on. Maybe we can move them here and get them closer up here so the judge can actually evaluate them. And I remember I went to our visual guys and had a little meeting and talked about it. And our visual guy literally said to me, and I won't tell you which visual person it was because we got a few. They go, oh, shit, I forgot about that. I forgot about the judge can't go out there anymore. And I went, <laughs> what? No, you didn't. They go, no, it seriously, was for I you. forgot about that. And I go, you guys wanted this. Well, they didn't want it because they wanted yeah, what yeah, I wanted. Yeah, you all voted. The but their people wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> their community. So I mean, their that's, aspect of the that's, activity. Yeah. That's an example of how we don't look at anything caption-wise. It's like, okay, how's this going to look? How's this going to help the core win, right? <laughs> Be successful. That's that's crazy to hear because, like, it's it's funny to me because you all play the game, as we've talked about earlier in this recording, of, okay, here's the world we live in. But, like, at the same time, you kind of just do your thing. The framework of how you all structure the show, you're all very talented designers, very experienced. You know what you're doing at this point. But you have those aspects of this is the world we live in. We have to try to get points where we can doing X, Y, Z. But there's also a huge element of we do what we do. We know what we do produces a good product. And we're going to stick to that at the core of it at the end of the day and then we'll we'll do things here and there to to play along with what's going on but we know we're going to put a good product out doing what we've been doing for years and we kind of stick but, to that at the end of the day you know and i guess i'm tainted because i see it every day but when you say that we do what we do i think we're different every year i don't think we do the same thing at all i know battery wise we're always trying to find new vocabulary what can we do different sometimes it's it works sometimes it doesn't I feel like when I say you all do what you do, it's the, the approach. When you walk up to the Blue Devil's Horn line in the lot, when you walk up to the front ensemble, the guard, whatever, you know it's the Blue Devils is kind of what I'm getting at, I feel like. I, you all have or, very varied shows from year to year. I 100% yeah. agree with you, and as, as an audience member, it's very distinct, and it's, I appreciate that about the Blue Devils as well, especially more and more the older I get and the more I learn about everything and how this whole world Now that works. I don't have to compete against you. Yeah, um, but, I, I think that the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what Fantini's talking about, the approach is, it, you said the same thing, the show comes first. Like, that doesn't change, which seems simple enough, but other some people, I don't know, you get in your own head sometimes and you start thinking about, well, what about this, what about this, what about me, what about me? Uh, but I think as in you do what you do, it's 
the way that you guys do it and the way that you operate, the way that you design the show, the way that you teach the show, like there is a structure there that is pretty unique, I would say, as far as like the way they stage it and then they chart it later. That's definitely not the approach that most organizations take. Well, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, we would love to win percussion every year and win brass every year and win color guard every year and win visual every year, which we kind of almost do. But that's my, that's the, that's the Rudy's that's, that's the drum staff. That's the drummers. That's what they're in charge of. That's all they have control over. I mean, I have control over more than they do. Right. So I look at the big picture more than anybody, more than my staff, obviously, but what they have control over, I mean, is they, they want to win that dang drum trophy. And sometimes they disagree with me and making a few calls going, no, it's going to be better upstairs. We got to do this change, which might cost us downstairs a tick or two, a 10th or two, but you got to do it for if it's going to be worth it upstairs. I'll take, you know, a 10th upstairs over a 10th downstairs any day. If that's, if you got to weigh that out. Right. And some of the guys will disagree with that at times, but that's, you know, that's why I have veto power. I'm the old guy. So it always works. <laughs> the wisdom. <laughs> or no, just the old guy. <laughs> I think another thing unique about you and just your relationship to the core is the amount of time that I see you with the core. Uh, a lot of the times now you see these staff announcements and there's like 10 snare techs or seven quad techs or five base techs. And I, I get that because they're yep, trying to like yep. make sure that people can not put all of life on hold. People have summer. lives like, outside of drum corps. Um, you know, still the make a day. living. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. But you all have the luxury in position to where it seems like you're there 90, 85% of the time. And Rudy's there a lot of the time. And the guys that are on there, they're on there a lot of the time. Um, so I think that does present a unique continuity that just other groups don't have. Well, it's, it's, it's consistency. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, it's it's easy to just say it's consistent, you know? I mean, I, I do more road than I should <laughs> on tour. I mean, I, I live on that bus pretty much. Last year I did, um, God, I think out of like 50 days, I was maybe like 42, you know, on tour. Um, Rudy does most of the tour, if not all of it. He takes a week off in early season, but then he's on for everything else. So the the performers are getting consistent feedback all the time. You know, we I might have a bet. snare tech come in or every now and then and switch, but I guarantee you those snare techs who came through this program are saying the same thing. I would bet if you look at all of the top percussion sections or the majority of them, they have the most staff consistency throughout the entirety of the summer compared to other groups that don't finish as highly as them. Now there's, there's talent differentials, there's design differentials, but in terms of, like you just said, they're getting consistent information. I don't know how the whole Rennick organization works or how many different techs they have coming in and out, but I would bet even whether it's two for the whole summer or five, they all have the same thought process and how they approach hitting the drum. They all yeah. came through that Rennick program or with you guys, if you have to have bring in a couple techs, like you just said, they all have the same background. And I bet when oh, you look at those top, top four or five percussion sections, those staffs are going to be as consistent as humanly possible throughout the entire, entire summer. Years ago, I had a, uh, someone sent me their resume that wanted to teach the battery, you know, and I said, well, I don't know you. Um, what have you done? You know, and I was trying to be nice. And then I finally go, listen, I, I hire my friends. I hire the guys that came through the Blue Level program because I know they know what we do and they know the philosophy that I teach and that they're going to carry on. And I go, so I hire my friends. And so the guy, he got like real violent and sent an email to our director saying, 
I can't believe Scott Johnson only hires friends. How, how does, what does that mean for everybody else? You know, and he just went off on my director. And I, and I, at the time it was Dave Gibbs, the director. And I, I told Dave, I go, I hope you lit him up. <laughs> I hope he didn't let that just slide through. I go, I hired the guys that I know are going to teach well yeah. and teach what we do. You, you basically know? hire people you know is basically well, what you're selling him. People I you mean, trust. Yeah, you trust and, is, I mean. And you got to get along. It's a long yeah. summer. It's a long season. Yes, and grind. guess what? You're living together. Yeah. If there's you're any gonna, issues at all, it's not going to be good. Period. You're going to argue. So, you got to know how to argue with somebody you know. Like, it's it's different when you're arguing with someone who sees the opposition as like, we're both trying to do the right thing. We just don't agree on this thing. Uh <laughs> Versus somebody's like, I don't know if you know that we're trying to do the right thing here or not, yeah. or if you're just trying to get your way. So, right, right, <laughs> yeah. But it was it was um, it was funny. I almost wanted to fly the guy out and just put him in front of the drum line and say, "Okay, go," because the drum line would probably eat him up. <laughs> this year may have been slightly different, but for most years now, like now that you do take a much more behind the scenes or higher role in the organization and construction of the ensemble and just the design process. Do you feel like your presence just being there, even though you're maybe not like out on the field as much is still just as important as it was in 94? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I still, I still enjoy it. Yeah. I, I still try to stay as current as possible. Um, I, I, can I still, guess let me rephrase I can still it. Play, so. I, no, I, I can still play pretty well to demonstrate things on the guys. Not like I used to when I was out there 24-7, but enough to walk up and, no, sounds like this, guys, and play a little bit and then walk away and, you know, shake it off later. But um, <laughs> I guess another way to ask that is, uh, do you feel like you can still have the same importance without having to do as much in, in regards that, to, that's like... Why I, yeah, that's why yeah. I hired Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> Rudy is literally doing what I used to do right now for the Blue Devils. He's the guy that runs the tracking sessions. He's the guy that clicks sticks in the lot, you know, when we're going through exercises and shows. I mean, that's what I did forever, you know, and then it got to the point where, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm too tired. Rudy, do this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So now he, he's doing exactly what I used to do. I'm still there and I'm still there and I'm still making my suggestions and I'm still getting there and cutting and let's start this again. And what the hell are you thinking about snares and what happened to your left hand? And, you know, I'm still that, that tech guy. It's, that's all, I'll always be a tech guy. That's where I started the float back in the day, you know, so yeah. that'll never change. But um, the fact that I'm looking at what's going to be the best for the core now, you know, because we talked about it a little bit earlier. I mean, if the battery is jamming as far as tempo control, that means the guard's going to be more consistent. That means the brass are going to be more consistent. And thank God that means the front ensemble is not going to have that roller coaster of tempo to try to lock into, right? If it's consistent, if we can be consistent in the battery, the rest of the core is going to benefit greatly from that. 100%. Oh, yep. yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, but not in the lot. I just had to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, unfortunately, they uh, maybe one day DCL will figure out a way to get like, fan access to like on field judge like there you go or something i don't uh, know yeah, we, got... we need to bring maybe that's what it we get the judges back out on the field and we can be there uh you can like do a pay-per-view buy to follow the drum judge around on a gopro and see what he sees for the whole show 
I'd pay that money drone, for that. Man. I would pay for that. The drone, yes, the dro drone. You know, hey, I'm I'm there. I'm there. I think it'd be awesome. You can hey. program the drone or have somebody fly it around. Yeah, that we'll would. We'll get the uh, staff guys who knows the show fly it around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, we can't like, get a drum judge on the field. We get a drone out there. Let's go. That's marketable. <laughs> I mean, there's all these electronics now, and like, there's sound design people who do a world of good for ensembles. We got to get a drone guy. Flow, take you. notes. Dude, and we can just uh, we can all get out there in the field, and then I'll call ticks from my couch, and then make rash judgments you, on my yeah. podcast. You do now. You do now. That's true. <laughs> we really do. I mean, <laughs> armchair warriors. Uh, yeah, totally uh, recognize this. Always easier yeah. from the couch. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, dude. Oh yeah. Drinking beer, and you're just like so, the more the the more the beer you drink, the better the groups get. It's great. I, I want to ask a question here real quick before we get too far away from it on we've we've referenced the new judging system and how we feel about it and everything. We threw something at Jeff Brooks on here that a suggestion of how to alter how we made it at this point of the two judge system, but not the traditional like box judge field judge, like I mean, battery judge and front judge. You get a front ensemble specialist, you get a battery specialist, the front judge will still be able to evaluate the front-to-back connection, the interplay between the battery and the front from the front of the front ensemble. And then you have that battery guy who, if you're talking about safety, if he needs to just beeline it to the 20-yard line, he's going to miss a whole lot less and get involved in the horn line and guard way less to get back to the front because he's not thinking about that. He goes, oh, I have to go to the 20 for a second, and then when the horn line gets out of the way, I can get back there and I miss 20 seconds. I think that would be an amazing system and honestly, even if you just did it for regionals and finals, like you don't do it for every show. It's, we talked about that years ago. That's that's definitely been brought up. Yeah. You know, front ensemble and it, even to the point where, okay, you just do front ensemble. You just do battery. You stay with the battery the whole freaking show. Don't even leave the battery. Even during the ballad, kneel down with them, whatever. You know, you stay with the battery. That's been talked about many times and it still puts that judge on the field. Um, the biggest issue was where does that second judge go? Where does that pit judge go? Upstairs? Right in front of the pit. Either on that the track. or... On the track, either, right in front yeah. of the front. Yeah. Well, I mean, we used to have two percussion judges. Yeah. Back when I marched for many, many years, and they did the rotation thing. They just circled the drum line in the front ensemble at the time. You know, so you got a, a, a more of a pure evaluation. That was also before the drills got, and props got to what they are today. That's and that, that, that very changed good point. Activity, that changed the activity big time, right? Sure. I blame the cadets in the 80s for going so fast. Their fault. <laughs> Running gun, baby. Um, yeah, really. But yeah, I think that there is a version that credits both front and battery more equal than it does right now. Well, we've, I mean, we've, we've tried for decades to figure it out. I mean, I was one of the guys, I was on the task force back in the early 2000s, me, Mike McIntosh, and Neil Larrabee, that we brought in percussion too. We pushed percussion two through, you know, a person upstairs that would evaluate the percussion section only, front ensemble and battery. And if the judge is back with the battery and he gets stuck back there, stay there. Safety factor, stay there. Mm -hmm. There's a guy upstairs checking out the front ensemble and everything else going on. It's okay. You know, if the battery's back in the back sidelines during the ballot and the judge is back there, don't run through the core. Either go around the side or just chill there. We got another guy already checking it out. Yeah. You know, so that was that was the whole philosophy behind percussion too, which I what still think. What was the issue? Money. Money. I saw. I saw money. When you add another judge to DCI shows, and this is 
we, we did regionals later, but at the time it was every show. And you think about how many shows there are in a season, hotel, airfare, it's, you know, over $150,000. You have to add to the budget for DCI judges. So it became I, crazy. So we said, okay, we'll just take them in regionals. Let's yeah. do that. You know, and I actually wrote down all my notes from our percussion two friend. Because in um, 08, and I don't remember what year we actually did that. I, I couldn't remember what year I was on the task force. I was on it too many times. But it was in the early 2000s, I believe. And then in 08, our friend um, George Hopkins, he put in a rule to eliminate the percussion two judge completely because numbers weren't working out right and he didn't think it was a good thing. That failed, thank God. So we kept them on. And then in 2014, uh, we saw percussion two at the first shows of the year and regionals only, and there was no field judge. I don't know if you I guys remember that. that. I remember there that. There was a time where the yep. only drum judge was upstairs until like July 4th, which yep. was a weird date. That's rough. And then we got to go on the field. You might as well but there's still just one judge. Yeah there, was, yeah, there was still just one judge. You know, and then, um, I mean, it went on. 16, uh, percussion two at every show, percussion one at regionals only. So there was a judge upstairs for every show except the regionals, and then they got to be on the field for one show, which was even more stupid. <laughs> and that happened again in uh, 17, and then in 18, it was just percussion one only. We got rid of percussion two. And here's the thing. Nobody told us percussion two was gone. It what? was never an email, a notice, a Congress, a DCI announcement. We get to the first shows and it's like, okay, who's, who's on percussion tonight? Blah, blah, blah. Who's doing percussion too? There is no percussion too. What do you mean there's no percussion too? <laughs> what? Literally, it, it just, it literally disappeared. That's why. And I can wild. tell you for a fact, because I'm a stats guy and I already had all my stats figured out for percussion one, percussion two, percussion one, you know, for uh -huh. fill in the blanks. And I'm going, what are, you, what are you talking about? Nobody told us. And it just disappeared. And when I, of course, when I went crazy and ballistic and grabbed John Phillips, who was the head of judge, and I go, what the hell's going on? What happened to percussion two? Yeah, well, the finance kicked in and it's just, it's not going to happen. And that was the answer I got. That's the, the only answer. The finance kicked in. But when we go to regionals, we can double up the GE panel and also double up the music analysis panel. But yep. we can't double up yep. the percussion panel, even though. Yep. And I get like there are like somebody said like well the color guard color guard's like well color guard is probably easier in my opinion I'm in my opinion my crude opinion to judge from a distance like a little bit because you can see more your audio doesn't matter as much uh, as long as like things are happening at the same time but like the percussion realm it's just so nuanced and when you're trying to split hairs between these world class ensembles. Every group is so good it? in those top five, six groups. You have yeah. to be able to get in there and evaluate that individual diddle that one person ticked. And if you're yep. Yep. 50 yards of play away, it's really well, not, hard not to do even that. that. If you're on the track in front of the speakers, you're not going to Yeah, it, 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 just hearing it in general. You have to be, I mean, to adjudicate the battery, you have to be behind the speakers. Yep. For yes. most groups, if not mm -hmm. all of them. Otherwise, you're not going to get that clarity through the stuff coming out of those speakers and I can be able to hear that you know so you got to get behind the speakers to even hear that stuff and I, I couldn't agree with you guys more maybe one yeah. day I can we can rant about that for hours but <laughs> oh, know, we had I that can. one day unfortunately but now we, we got to get it back I know <laughs> yeah I mean things have changed and evolved and some of them are great I mean the tick system was a thing I don't necessarily disagree with getting rid of that I do like the sense of like a credit system 
uh, as far as like you're rewarding things more than you are subtracting but build up versus tear down but execution does matter i mean clean is the best type clean is forever that's the only way to credit the members the most like if you're not crediting execution you're basically it's a design competition well and when we got the profession to judge in there the argument that we made that that i came up with was you can hear a great brass ensemble anywhere right not just drum corps you can hear really good brass ensembles anywhere in the world right you can see great dancers anywhere in the world you are not going to get this type of percussion performance other than drum corps. It's a very specialized thing for our activity where you, some colleges come close, but no, they don't get into the details. They don't have the time to get into the details. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you're never going to get that, th- th- that quality of what a DCI percussion line brings to the activity. But you can see all that from all the other captions. That's easy to find other stuff. You can see great movement on stages, you know, you could, but you're not going to ever get that other than the drum corps activity. So why are we screwing that up with just one judge? To me, it makes no sense at all. I love that. I agree. We're going to have to have, uh, Mike Leitsky and Jeff Brooks and all these people back on and we're going to challenge them. But that's not their rules. They don't, they just abide to the, they abide to the the rules that they're given the parameters. No, but they, they, trust me, they agree with us. They they want to be out there. They want to be out there. I know. I've talked. To we've we've talked to both of them and <laughs> a few others, so exactly. we're aware. Uh, but I, I guess bringing this thing full circle, so we're talking drums and this and that, and we're just talking about the organization. One thing that was said to me from a past member, and this goes back to your recruiting things, like oh, I never thought about the exercises of recruiting thing, but my friend Dean told me that the Blue Devils always felt like a clinician organization at heart too. Like you were always trying to get kids involved, fans involved. Uh, You guys did clinics all the time. Rehearsals were just like open, like you want people to be there. And obviously a very viral and well-known video is Brandon. I mean, from whatever year that was, 12, 13, 11, somewhere around there. When he's like 11 years old playing Diddy. Uh, The remix with with everybody. I guess just talk about that a little bit. Like when you see people out there, what's you like, how do you, how are you trying to integrate them into like you were a four year old kid when you started to play drums? Like what's, what's going through your mind and process through that? It's, um, it's freaking awesome. (laughs) When you see these kids, that were at a system blue camp or one of our camps or in one of our lots, you know, watching us at a rehearsal or something. Um, I've got guys, do you know the name of Chris Drummer? Tenor Drummer? Yeah. Chris, oh, yeah. Wheels. Phenomenal. I mean, probably one of the smoothest tenor drummers that ever came through our program, right? <laughs> yeah. And when he finally made the A Corps, because he was in the B Corps for a while, our, our open class Corps, when he finally made the A Corps, uh, his second year or so, he goes, he goes, yo, Scott, come here, check this out. And he shows me a picture of him and me and I'm signing the drum head when he was like, you know, 10 or 11 or something at some, some drum corps show somewhere. I'm going, dude. And he goes, you don't remember that? I go, I no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do that a lot, but it's I don't remember lot, yeah, that. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, this is why I came here. And I'm going, what? And there you go. so those little, those little things, you know, that's the fact recruiting. that Brandon, the fact that, well, yeah, that, there you go. That's recruiting. <laughs> the fact that Brandon showed up and studied us on YouTube and knew all that stuff. And I threw him in the line and 
cut our center snare and said, Roberto, you're out of there. Lower that drum as low as it goes. Kick it off, kid. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and I, you, you've probably heard the story. That wasn't the Diddy, by the way. That was Ditto 8, which was like the next Diddy that we tried gotcha. to get out there that wasn't as, wasn't as popular as a Diddy. But anyways, I didn't. Yeah, I yeah. killed the Diddy. I didn't want it to be around anymore. But um, <laughs> so we did that. And what impressed the, the most impressive thing about that video is there was a split slam part in the snare voice, A, B, A, B, A, B, right? He knew where he was in the line to play the correct slam part. That's crazy. <laughs> And when we finished, and when we went through that section, I just went, holy shit, <laughs> what is happening here? And as a joke, which isn't on the video, but as a joke, I go, you got the opener? And he goes, yeah. And I go, all right, take the opener. And the rest of the line is looking at me like, what? And I, and I had no idea. I just was having fun, right? At that point, yeah. Let's see what happens. We'll see where it goes. And, and I actually told him, I go, hey, by the way, we made a change last night. He goes, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and he played through the opener with the guys. And it's That's just like, awesome. oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, those little, those little those little moments that you you know make someone feel at home or acknowledge them or just hang out with them. I mean, I've had many guys that have come through the program now that you know section leaders <laughs> who had me sign something for them back in the day, you know, because they were Blue Devil fans back then. So I guess we do recruit all the time, but I don't call it recruiting. It's just being nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen so many videos of like kids playing on somebody's drums. You're in a parade, or you're in a whatever event or BD yeah. entertainment thing where somebody's playing on right. somebody's drums. Yeah. I mean, yep, yep. another name that comes to mind is like the Odello family. Like, mm -hmm. how many of them came through the organization? I don't All know of any them. of them. I just know <laughs> the name. <laughs> yeah. So, I was so, talking I mean, to Rick Odello today. <laughs> oh, are you? Honestly, well, we're, we're both. We, we, we uh, had season tickets for the Oakland Raiders. That we used to sit together for all the games. And now they're in Vegas. Yeah. And so we, we, we still text during the during football season all the time. <laughs> Might be karma they moved. The Raiders are... They're, they're, they're trying to find their footing. We'll see. Hey, we to, won today. We won today. To Robert Martinez's chagrin. Oh, yeah, dude. exactly. I, yeah, I haven't I'm watched well any football that. today, unfortunately. I've been busy. But yeah, Robert Martinez is a Raiders fan. Yeah, I'm well aware I, of that. Speaking of the clinician side of things, like I actually, 2006, yeah. the Godfather show, I was a sophomore in high school and there was a, there, there used to be a DCI Louisville show in Kentucky for a handful of years there at uh, the University of Louisville Cardinal Stadium and stuff. And you all did a clinic and my band director took the entire band and I, at little, at 15 years old, I sat right in front of and like, uh, I was, Tim Jackson was in that line, right, Evan? Yes, six. that was his age. Tim Jackson, um, Casey Brohard. Literally, I was like 10 feet from all you all, and I don't have many memories about it, but it was a blast. That whole thing, that, it was the Blue Devils that year, and then I was taught by a cadet from the early 90s from their snare line. Uh, good friends with Eric Ward, Moorhead guy. Um, so it was like early, old school cadets, and then that 06 BD experience was really kind of what catapulted of like, this is what I want to do. As long as I can. Was I there? Was I in town then? Uh, was I there? I, Do you know? Do you remember? I think, but I don't remember specifically. I don't. I don't remember. Okay. But yeah, we you you brought all the all the kids down that wanted to right in front of the battery or whoever it was that was there at the time running it. Um, you all played a bunch of book exercises. There was crowd interact. I think a couple shirts were given away or something. Or uh, and then we all went up in the stands and like watched ensemble for like an hour and a half right. or two hours, and right. it was just a cool experience. Like just. It's, it's crazy how, like, we have perspective now, having done the activity and everything and been around it so long. But 
there's nothing like that when you have that bug already as a young kid and then you get to stand or sit right in front of it it's like a line of superheroes almost essentially in front of you just like how are they doing that and it's just it's it's and that's what just puts it puts the fire in you and to go after it and it's wild yeah you never and yet you never came to the blue devils what's up you're far, you're geographically far uh, it's uh, pretty far away uh i never had to get on a plane to go to a single so i marched blue stars <laughs> who did all their stuff in indianapolis two-hour drive and then blue coats which was i had friends to ride with in uh canton so it's like four or five hours from louisville so i never got on a plane one time to audition for a drum corps or anything uh this yeah. is a funny. This is a funny story too. And since we're doing this video for our first video podcast, uh, it'll be funny. But here in my drum room, this was the first book that I ever purchased and photocopied. Oh wow! The, uh, <laughs> the Blue Devils Book of Drumming. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and I remember learning the accent tap because there was a video on the tour DVD of them playing that on a bus when it was lightning outside. And I was like, I want to learn Oh how to God, do that. I remember that too. San Antonio. I was, like, I, want, I was like, I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> Back when awesome. videos had to buffer for an hour before you could watch them. No, that's when you had to buy them on DVD. There was no, Oh, there YouTube wasn't even or YouTube or, or anything to buffer. So, yeah. No so buffer. all of your, wait, I'm confused. All of your podcasts were on video. What do you mean? This is the first video. This is the so, first one. Well, we do the reaction videos on video. Oh. Uh, but we're actually going to do this whole podcast on video. Yeah. So gotcha. we. So. We've been. Rec- we, this is the first one we've actually done like a full hour plus of just the three people on it talking. Uh, typically, that's just audio. And then we'll just get right. like a picture of the group the person teaches or whatever. And that's what's up on YouTube. Uh, but we decided to get with the times and actually. Kind of up our game too. Be a part of the 21st century. Uh, Which explains all the problems we had earlier tonight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, on my end, I'm sure. It's all good. <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. But, you know, we're just trying to have some fun. And fortunately, this thing has become a thing that uh, when we started it four years ago, we didn't imagine we would be having conversations with uh, distinguished guests like yourself. But we will gladly take it and gladly enjoy it. So. Because at the end of the day, it's just fun to talk and hang out and talk about drums, honestly. Like, that's like before we started recording, I said, ever since Pete Zappadin, when we had him on here, called it, we're a tribe. The marching percussion, like drum corps, it's a tribe. And a lot of the knowledge is just passed down through generations of students become teachers and then teach new students. Then those students become teachers and then it iterates and people throw new ideas in and it's just... It just grows and evolves. The lineage, the, the, the lineage is crazy when you yeah. start putting the family the family tree together. You know? There's like it's, one degree of separation instead yeah. of like six or seven between sure. everybody. Completely Absolutely. off topic, is your is your wife in music also? My wife marched in Blue Devils. Okay. We so met she it, gets we it. met in Blue Devils. Oh yeah, yeah so she, that, that's why I'm still able to do what I do. There it is. <laughs> she understands. She loves the activity, she loves WGI. Everybody asks, you know, when I'm going to retire from WGI judging. And I, I always joke, say, well, if I ever do, Judy, my wife's Judy. I go, Judy will still be a W. She loves that weekend. That's her. That's our favorite week of the year is WGI. You it's know, get time. to hang out with all of our all of our people. And just, it's just a, it's a great hang. And I love watching the performers, of course. But Thank she you. goes, I'll, I'll be there every year. Even if you're not there, I'll be there. And I go, yeah, I know you will. <laughs> oh, no, she, she definitely gets it. That's awesome. Shout out to she Judy. Taught color guard. She taught color guard for many years back with like George Zingali. 
um, high school Oof. clinics and stuff back in the day. So she she uh, she she definitely knows the activity. She's got the she's got the flowers. Then yeah, she knows what's up. Oh, absolutely. a little bit. <laughs> and she's very honest. She's very honest, sometimes too honest <laughs> with me. <laughs> After the first show of the year, I'm going, so what do you think? She goes, yeah, Santa Clara's going to kick your ass. Come <laughs> on. She goes, no, I love your show. Pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, honestly, it's early. It's early. Oh, so like, yeah. So Judy, we need to get Judy on the podcast. That's what it next sounds summer like. When we're watching the early season BD videos. There and you like, go. Well, Judy, Judy said it, not us. So you yep. guys there you go. calm down. <laughs> Honesty you know, is she's always in the lot. She's in the lot all the time. She's the one sitting in the chair in front of the drum line. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the there's Cheryl, smoke. who's the drum mom, who's on tour with us constantly. But whenever Judy's in town, we got an extra chair under the bus that she's, she's their biggest fan. So <laughs> It's a good time. Well, I don't. Unless Mike, you have any other questions, but I do want to, I do want to open the red carpet, I guess, just, just for you, sir. And, uh, just plug or like shout out whatever you want with the BD organization, BD entertainment, or like whatever you got, whatever comes to mind and off the cuff, throw it at us. Just, I mean, we talked about everything we do and nothing's really, I got nothing to promote. Right. <laughs> That's what you're thinking. I mean, no, we no, do what no. we do, you know? Yeah, we do what we do. The, uh, we're very consistent. The staff's consistent. You know, that's what I love about us is we don't, we don't even do meetings anymore because we don't need to. We know what's up, you know, get show up at the first camp. Yep, we're doing this and this and this. Yep, got it. Let's go. And not, not too many things have changed drastically. It's a well-oiled machine. The, de the decades. And really, yeah, that's all good. It, it seems like the member experience is just always positive. Just positive and well, it, it is. To me, that's the biggest, well, that's the most interesting part of us, I guess. Because, I, mean, I I mean, I taught at Santa Clara for uh, four years in the early 90s there. But um, it's interesting. I've never taught anybody else, you know. And we get a lot of members from other drum corps that come to us, you know. And my first question is, why are you here? You know, why did you come here? You know, why did you stay where you guys were? You know, you're starting to establish whoever it was. I won't mention any other drum corps, but, but a lot of them. And they always say, well, I want to be treated like an adult. And I go, what? What are you talking about? And I, I've, I've, that still blows me away that they're not treated like adults in other places, I guess. You know, it's the old, that's the really old school mentality, apparently. But um, when the members come here, they're, I mean, I treat them like an adult. I treat them like they're the best performers in the world. And hell, we should be learning from them. You know, what do you got? Let's go. You know, so I, I, I think that's really bizarre when I hear that. But I hear that from... A lot of people that come to us, which totally just kind of blows me away. And that's the good thing about indoor percussion, I guess, because everybody knows, especially in the drum world, we, you guys know, mm. everybody knows everybody, right? Our auditions numbers are down nowadays because everybody knows who's coming to audition already. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not going to beat out Billy. Billy's got that snare spot. I'm out. You know, so yeah. I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> As opposed to everybody just showing up like they used to and just, yeah. you know, let's see what the hell happens. So now everybody talks. Everybody in the internet. Exactly. You know, a lot of them march together in indoor lines, you know, which I think is awesome from different drum corps. I think it's healthy as hell that they're able to do that. You know, so our tribe is definitely our tribe. And it's just interesting hearing because they talk to each other and that's how they want to come to us because they hear how they're treated here. So it's to me, that's just kind of fascinating that that's not the norm. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's less rival, not to call them rivalries, but there's no, less rivalries yeah. these days 
just because so many kids do march like oh we all march this drum corps in this location but then for the summer we break off um and then they make friends with other places and then they may come back or they may go somewhere else so it's created a unique um i don't know just relationship of like connecting people from like oh we all march different cores but we march this winter thing together so they just still talk over the summer i mean i think it's you know with the drum guys i think it's um oh i gotta be careful how i phrase this it's better (laughs) than color guard or brass people because they don't have that outlet as much as we do as far as hanging out with our friends you know because we could i mean during the winter man we can go at each other's throats and have a great time and you Mm -hmm. know just throw down and kick your butt and you kick our butt and then go have a beer together and it's all good yeah yeah. you know there's never any i'm not drinking with that guy you know there's never (laughs) never, there's never that with us right it's always yeah yeah, it's cool now let's go out (laughs) yep so and i think i think the indoor activity kind of helped that a lot i actually which i'm all for yeah I, i don't think i ever marched outdoor with any of my closest friends which is kind of funny to think. Wow. Yeah. I did outdoor with a few Rhythm X guys. I did drum but, corps, blue coats with a few guys from Rhythm X from winter. Uh, but yeah, I never did oh, any so outdoor. enemies? <laughs> enemies? <laughs> no, but like Dean or like Mike on here or Travis and Dan Shack and those guys, like we never marched any outdoor together. We just all marched indoor together. See, that's different. So where, I did... where... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to Where did you guys march? I don't know your history. Um, Evan, you can go first. I marched uh, Carolina Crown in 2009 and 2010. Uh, marched some open class WGI at Tate's Creek for a few years. And I marched Rhythm X 2010, 2011, and 2012 uh, playing snare drum. Uh, did they win? I, I, I Help me. I don't know. Did they win in those years? I'm trying no. To remember, in 2010, we were second with the Inspired show, the Muse show. And then 11 and 12, we were fourth, fourth, I think. Uh, in that yeah, round, we were, we were yeah, second we were. overall, second in drums in 09, and then fourth and fourth in 2010. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. I don't even remember. Yeah. That's and, crazy. Uh, I don't yeah. remember the placements as much as I just remember who I was with. Yeah. Yeah. Says a lot right there says a lot right about there. what's important. Um, but no, I uh, so I met, I did Blue Stars in March for Tom Angst in 2010. And then, because I met Evan at Moorhead State University in their drum line. And so he did Crown in 10, I did Blue Stars in 10, and then he got me to go do Rhythm X and go audition for 11, which I made it. We're both snare drummers, uh, by the way. And then um, didn't march summer 2011 due to money reasons, wanted to do one or the other, and then did X again in 12, and then did Blue Coats in 12 for my drum corps age out. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. With the whole Eric Shriver and... Yep, I think that was I think that was Roger. Carter's it was Roger's first year. first year with the Blue Coats. He was him and Shriver were the two snare techs, and then Mike Jackson was still with Tom Rarick at the helm. And yeah, it was a, it was a good summer. It was fun. It was a fun, fun time. Fun learning uh, from Tim Fairbanks and Josh Bricky and Tim Jackson. Tim Jackson has a mathematician's mindset. It's talking about statistics and your charts and stuff. I think one time he told me he wrote out a graph of grids and how they relate to like your hand pressure or something like that. I'm gonna have to double check with that with him, but I'm pretty sure he told me about a chart he did with like, oh yeah, these are the grids where your hands are really open. And as you go down here, these are the grids where your like fulcrum's really like high pressure. I'm like, dude, this is way too much for me. <laughs> but that explains why Tim was so good. Tim was Tim, basically. 
He, he lasted one year on our staff, I think. I think it was just one year that he taught. What year? What year yeah. was it? The year after he aged out. When did he age out? Uh, six. He's oh, six. Seven. 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 Oh, six. Six. Yeah, oh, six. I think. I think he was he in marched, for three years. Right? He, he marched two thousand. I know he marched two thousand four, five, six. Yeah. Maybe he marched. Oh no, he wasn't in 03, but he was in there with 04, 05 with Jared Andrews and that quad line. Right. And then 06, the Godfather year was his last year because he did his uh, I and E with like three sets of quads. Yeah. All tuned for the Godfather stuff. That's yeah. right. Da, 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 yeah. Da. Yeah, but he did. I, I don't remember if he taught right out of it was 07 or 08, but he taught. I had him on staff just for one year, and it. I mean, Tim is, like you said, Tim is Tim, and needed to be in charge of everything. And so we had a mutual, a mutual firing after the season where we sat down and I go, you know, I go, I know you want to be in charge of how they cook the hot dogs on the truck and how the snare line plays and how this, I go, this ain't the place I need a tenor check. And he goes, Oh, I got it. Don't worry. And then he got the blue coat gig. I yeah. Think, I was going to say he went to coats after that and taught for a little yeah, while. Yeah. yeah. Cause he then, need, he needed his own thing. So it worked out well. And then he started, I think 08 was the first year he started writing like everything at least for rhythm x i'm sure for years he had his foot in the door but or right. his influence but yeah right yep yeah tim is funny he's a fun dude yep <laughs> yep i was actually texting him the other day but anyway <laughs> that's that's irrelevant fun fact fun fact uh, yeah i mean i just looked over the uh the notes you sent out before Evan, I, I think we hit everything. I, this has been a fun conversation Hell after yeah. after we worked through the technical difficulties and stuff, and even even before it, it was a good it was a good conversation. Scott, this was super cool, a little surreal. Like I told you before, we started kind of recording. A childhood dream, honestly. Yeah. Wow, and you guys just want to you just want to watch the lots and talk about bad attacks. I know you guys. Duh. Well, I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> for sure. It's honestly, it's kind of hard to watch the lots in like turn your brain off but i love what everybody does i love the drum corps activity in general no matter where any group finishes but i'll probably just never be able to turn my brain off from like calling ticks no <laughs> they are we all know like all of our ears are trained too well like we can't not hear it and i will say though the older i get the less i care about like the first left diddle of that triplet roll that was really bad or like, and you look at the big picture a lot more and kind of like overall sound of the battery and like how the sections are interplaying. And it's, it's funny too, because I care way less about tenor rims than I once did, even though yeah. I never played tenors, but I used to be like, Oh, he had a rim. He sucks. But now I'm just like, man, that around <laughs> was crazy hard. Like, yeah. what is that? What is going on? <laughs> what is happening? All right. the, the boys are growing up. I love it. before our eyes. Yeah, something like that, man. Yeah, you can call something it that if like you want. Uh, <laughs> all I right. mean, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I think it's great the whole lot thing you guys do. I mean, obviously there's a niche for it, and everybody loves it and follows it, you know. But I just want to say again, the lot is a preparation for the performance. Oh yeah, it's not the performance. As many people think it is, it has nothing yeah. to do with the performance at all. It's How just did the that preparation. Group beat that group? Well, they're not as good on the move, or you're actually <laughs> evaluated. Did you watch the front videos too? Yeah. Did you did yeah. you see what was going on? I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for someone to see if that kicks in, you know, because that's where all the points are nowadays. Obviously, for our sheet, at least, right? For the yeah. dome sheet. We're going to have to bring some people on as guests for that because my, uh, my, my expertise knowledge is, is not, definitely uh... lower. 
and we're gonna have to fight some copyright issues <laughs> yeah there's some, yeah. there's all kinds yeah. of copyright issues with the music and but we've actually thrown the idea around of like finding somebody that's a talker like evan and i are and can come on and like maybe like watch front ensembles uh, exactly like you were saying and like educate us a little bit as well as anybody else watching and like point things out that most people might not pick up on or we, we've thrown the idea around it might be something we do at some point brian tinkle let's go yeah there you go <laughs> all right dinkle uh, dinkle will hook you up. yep right right all right i got nothing well, else i'm good bro all right all right guys Let's close this out. Everybody, thanks for hanging out. Again, social media, Facebook, Instagram, it's a Staged Out Podcast, patreon.com for financial support. If you're on YouTube, go to podcast services, podcast services, go to YouTube, you know, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, we'll see everybody in the next one. Peace. Take care. Thanks, guys.